All right, well, uh, good morning. Uh, today is an exciting one because we have new things happening today. And it's new because we chose it to be new, not because it was imposed on us because of some strange virus that's wreaking havoc in our world, right? So that's exciting. Uh, and the new thing is we are starting a new sermon series today called Stories of Old, A Journey Through the Old Testament. Uh, to help us through this series, we're going to be following something for the next uh, school year called uh, the Narrative Lectionary. I'm going to nerd out and get real technical here for about 30 seconds, so bear with me. Uh, you might have heard the word lectionary before. Uh, the word lectionary essentially just means like um, a tool or a resource of assigned readings. In the past, we've used what's called the revised common lectionary. It's been a helpful tool. We've used it a lot. Um, it's been a great thing, but we want to try something different. So we're going to start jumping into what's called the narrative lectionary. Narrative, because the goal of it is to give us like the broad narrative of scripture. So... Uh, We'll hit some of the major mile markers uh, along the way throughout this school year. It's a four-year cycle, so every year we hit different mile markers. So at the end of four years, hopefully we can say, like, oh, I have a pretty good understanding of the broad scope of the story of Scripture. So uh, the way that this works is we'll be journeying through the Old Testament, hitting, again, some of these major mile markers uh, up until we get to the season of Advent. And then we'll jump into the, the uh, Old Testament prophets, and we'll follow Jesus through Christmas to Easter, and then from Easter to Pentecost, we'll um, uh, jump into the New Testament letters, Acts, Revelation, all that good stuff as well. So um, part of the reason why we're doing this is, if you remember a few weeks ago at our family meeting on spiritual formation and worship, um, a number of people uh, expressed this like longing uh, to dive deeper into scripture, to like get our hands on it, to wrestle with it, to, um, to talk about it together, to like explore this text that is so important to us as a, a faith community. And I think that this uh, is going to be an important step in that. By no means will this satisfy all of our longings, but I, I hope that this can be a bit of an intentional journey through the big arching story of scripture as a whole. So, with that being said, as we jump into this first week, uh, would you join me for a word of prayer? Loving God, uh, we are grateful uh, for the gift of this day, and God, we are grateful for the gift of this community, and that we can uh, gather together today. Uh, God, we're grateful uh, for the gift of technology uh, that connects us here in person to those on Zoom and uh, we acknowledge the profound mystery that is your spirit um, that meets us here in this moment, uh, again, here on person and on Zoom, uniting us, connecting us, growing us up in the way of Jesus. And we are grateful for that. Uh, as we uh, get ready to jump into scripture, we uh, yield ourselves to your spirit, ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of my uh, mantras over the last few months has been, it's been a really difficult 18 months, or fill in the blank for however many months we've been in, whatever this thing is that we find ourselves in. It's been a really difficult 18 months, and this has been a really helpful sort of like grounding, centering, calming, uh, perspective building sort of mantra for me. Uh, and the reason why it's given me all this sort of grounding and centering and perspective is for a couple different reasons. The first one is um, uh, we find ourselves in this like difficult season of like the last 18 months. And I think we can de deceive ourselves into recognizing that there may be some sense of normalcy that's come up over the last 18 months. 
But that normalcy is actually a profound abnormality, right? <laughs> the normalcy that we've slipped into is asking, do you, would you prefer a mask uh, when we talk? Would you prefer to meet outside? Would, would we prefer Zoom or this or that or whatever it may be, right? And uh, this, this uh, mantra helps me like, remember that like, this abnormality that we've, we've slipped into is really challenging, right? Um, our brains kind of run on like autopilot, and we haven't been able to run on that same sort of autopilot, and it can like, cause our brains to feel like it's like, working in overdrive, right? And so uh, this, this mantra has been really helpful for me in like, these moments when I feel like I'm not okay, to remind me that it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> it's been a really difficult 18 months, and sometimes I forget that like, it's been a difficult 18 months, so it reminds me of that, and it reminds me that like, it's okay to not be okay. The second thing is, uh, this is a pretty unique point in human history, right? Uh, and I want to remind myself that it's been a difficult 18 months because I, I want to pay attention to it. Um, I, I think there's often this impulse within me to just kind of veg out on Netflix and ignore everything that's happening in the world around me, and I think sometimes that's okay, but I, I don't want to do that all the time. I want to pay attention to what's happening because sometimes what's happening feels a bit like a train wreck, right? Like... <laughs> but I don't want to look away from it because it, it feels monumental, right? Or it can kind of feel like the insurrection earlier this, this year, right? Like, I had a very full day of stuff that I needed to do, but I felt significant, right? And so I stopped what I was doing, and I, I turned on the news, and I, I watched it for a while because it felt like there was some significance, and I wanted to sit with that. And so I want to sit with the significance of the last 18 months because it feels like there's something monumental and unique happening, and I think one of the reasons why we find ourselves in this unique point in human history is because, I don't know if you've caught on to this, so if this is earth-shattering to you, I apologize, but we are in a moment where there is all sorts of disconnection and division. Again, if, if you need a second to like wrap your mind around that, I'll give that to you, right? It's a joke, obviously. But we find ourselves in this moment with all sorts of, of disconnect and division. And I think uh, part of the reason why there's so much disconnect and division revolves around this idea that we've talked about of the unholy trinity. <laughs> COVID, politics, and racism. See, we find ourselves in the midst of this thing with COVID, and COVID as a virus in and of itself has disconnected us, right? Because this is like what the experts have told us to do, right? <laughs> to, to avoid large group gatherings, to, and early on to stay in our homes, stay away from people. And so as a virus, it in and of itself has disconnected us. But as a topic... The virus has divided us. Because like, if you've talked to more than like two people, you've quickly realized that not all of us agree that this is even a thing, right? <laughs> and if we can't agree that it's a thing, then we don't agree of how to like, push back against it or combat it or try and get our heads wrapped around it. But then we move to like, politics. And not just politics in and of themselves, but like, polarizing partisan politics. where, like, To the point where I was talking to a friend this past week who sees the world a little different than I do, or not this past week, recently. And, uh, you know, he, he made the mention of, like, I don't know if I have a place in your life because I see things differently. And I thought, are we at that point already in this world that, like, we can't see differently and we can't have a space for each other in our lives? And then we moved to, like, this topic of, of racism where, like, isn't a new thing. It isn't new in the last 18 months. But it feels like over the last 18 months, like week after week, there's been a, a, a new story that just reaffirms 
that uh, our world doesn't tend to think of our sisters and brothers of color of having lives that matter. And for every story that's been in the, the headlines, like, trust me, like, there are, are countless other stories that aren't being told. And it's just been this pervasive reminder over the last 18 months of this ugly thing that's rearing its head in a unique way right now. Um, now, in talking with a, a number of people and sitting with this, because I wanted to pay attention to it, I've begun to discover that, like, there's this this feeling within me that there's like this energy or this force that's like weighing down on us, this energy, this force that's doing this disconnecting, this, this division among us. But I've also noticed this impulse and instinct among many of you that I've talked to and even within myself that like there's this impulse and instinct to say that this, this disconnect, this division, all of this tension, all of this ugliness in our world right now, that this is not good. Now, I think there's something to this impulse and instinct. I think there's something to this impulse and instinct to push back against the dis, uh, uh, disconnect and division. And I think there's something within this impulse and instinct to say that this is not good. And I think that this impulse and instinct is not only embedded deep within us, but embedded deeply and woven into the very fabric of creation. And I think we see this from the very beginning of our scriptures in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 begins, In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. For the first readers of this, they would have read this as like a big red flag saying that in the beginning, the raw materials that God got God's hands on were chaos and confusion, that this is what existed. But the story doesn't stop there because the story tells us then that the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God stepped in onto this confusion and chaos And the spirit of God stepped on it like a mother hen brooding over her nest and begins to tame the confusion and chaos and putting it in its place. And then we begin to slip into what uh, the writer begins to do really poetically and begins to talk about the events of creation, the stages of creation, or the days of creation. And the author tells us that there is day one, And on day one, God separated the light from the darkness. And then we're told that there is day two. And on day two, uh, God uh, separated the waters above from the waters below. But then as we get to day three, something strange, peculiar, unique begins to happen. Because on day three, God creates... uh, uh, separates the, the dry land from the seas and then uh, calls forth plants that uh, begin to bear fruit. And after all of this, God looked upon all that God had created and saw that it was good. Then day four, we see that God uh, created the, the star and the moon and the sun and set forth these reminders of rhythms and seasons and days and years. And God looked upon all that God had made and saw that it was good. And then we get to day five, and on day five, God creates um, the animals in the sea and the birds of the air, and at the end of the day, God looked upon all that God had made and called it good. And then we get to day six, and on day six, God created the animals on the dry land, and God looked upon all that God had made and called it good. And then God, at the end of day six, creates humankind and puts within humankind the image of God's very self, image bearers of the divine. And then God looks upon everything that God had made and called it very good. 
Do you pick up any themes here? <laughs> Hopefully we see it everywhere. Good, 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 good. Very good. So let's talk about this word good for a moment, shall we? Uh, this word good in Genesis 1 comes from the Hebrew word tov. Now, because uh, we are good, red-blooded Americans who have been enculturated in Western society, we tend to read good in a particular way. <laughs> We tend to have this individualistic sort of uh, perspective on how the world works. And so when we talk about good, we tend to talk about good being within the object itself. So we might say, like, this marker is good, right? It, it does what we ask of the marker. The marker itself is good. The object itself is good. But the author and the original readers of Genesis 1 were not good, red-blooded Americans who had been enculturated by Western society, but rather... Uh, the perspective that they carried tended to be a bit more communal, a bit more collective. And rather than seeing uh, Tov being the object itself, they talked about it, as Lisa Sharon Harper notes, as the, the ties between things. They talked about goodness being a bit more communal, a bit more collective. So they might say that the marker and the whiteboard are good. The way that they interact with one another, that is good. Not the, not the marker, not the whiteboard itself, but the way that they interact together is good. Now, the reason why this is important is because, again, we are good, red-blooded Americans with a Western sort of mindset. And when we read Genesis 1, we might look at day 3 and call that good. We might read day 4 and call that good. We may read day 5 and call that good. We may read day 6 and call that good. But the problem is, this is not what tov means. <laughs> See, tov is not here. Tov is not here, Tov is not here, Tov is not here, but rather, Tov is here. Tov is here. Tov is here. Tov is here. See, Tov isn't in the individual day, but Tov is in uh, these ties between things. Or we might even say that Tov is in the ties. Tov being here, the things that connect, the things that link, the things that connect creation to itself. Now, I can't help but wonder if, um, maybe not this particular image, but an image similar to this, is what Dr. King had in mind as he sat in the Birmingham jail and wrote a response to the white moderates, when he said that we find ourselves caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality, this, this network that we can't choose to step out of no matter how much we want to push against it, we cannot escape it, but we are caught up in this web of inescap this inescapable network of mutuality. And because of this reality that we are caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality, Dr. King goes on to say that whatever happens to one directly affects everyone indirectly. Why? Because Tov is in the ties. There is this inescapable network of mutuality that exists deeply embedded within creation. This is uh, the reason why, by the way, that if we were to ever get into conflict, so imagine you, know, you and I have a meeting and it blows up and goes bad. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But imagine that we do. Both of us go our separate ways. I go back to my house. I can begin to do an evaluation of everything that is within my life. I can say I have a roof over my head, I have food on my table, I have a job that pays for all of my needs, I have a good family, I have a good community, and yet there is not goodness fully present in my life. 
You yourself may go home and take an evaluation of all those same sorts of things and come to this conclusion that there is not goodness in my life, that something is not right. And the reason why we individually are not good is because we collectively are not good. And we individually will not be good until we collectively are good. Because we as human beings are caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality that Tove is in the ties. But it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to recognize this is not the current state of reality. <laughs> that we do not find ourselves with all of this overwhelming, very goodness. As we mentioned from the beginning, like it feels like there's all sorts of disconnect and division that's taking place within our world. So what happened to this original goodness? If we keep reading the story closely, we come to a short little word that carries all sorts of weight. And that's the word sin. Now, for many of us, this word like, makes us shut down instantly <laughs> because this word has been, has been uh, distorted and used in all sorts of like, unhealthy ways from uh, people up front in a room like this. But if we read the story closely, we get a picture of sin that's less some white-bearded man up in a cloud with a clipboard marking down every mistake that you make in your life. And the picture that we get instead in the story is one of separation. The image that we get is one of disconnect, one of division. When sin steps into the story, it goes right for the ties between things and ruptures the connection that God calls good. This, by the way, is why things like the unholy trinity have been so incredibly destructive in our world. This is why things like COVID that has disconnected us as human beings and divided us as a topic has been so destru destructive because it has separated, disconnected, and divided us. This is why things like partisan politics have been so destructive in recent years because it steps in and it separates, it, it disconnects us and divides us from one another. This is why things like racism, this false understanding that uh, people with one color of skin have higher value than another and then build systems and structures around it, is so incredibly destructive because it steps in and it separates us, disconnects and divides us from one another. This is... This is why things like shame are so incredibly destructive because shame, by definition, is separation. It disconnects us from ourselves and the reality of who we are. It disconnects us from others and the reality of who they are as well. This is why things like slander are so destructive because it separates us from one another, separates us from the story that's being told in the story of reality. This is why things like violence, whether that be uh, physical, verbal, or emotional, or any other form is so destructive because it steps in and it separates, it, it divides us, it disconnects us from the humanity of one another. And this is why things like greed are so incredibly destructive because it steps in and it separates those who feel like they have from those who they perceive have not. And it separates and it disconnects and it divides us from one another. See, sin steps in, it separates, it, it disconnects, it divides us. It ruptures the very connections that God looked upon all of creation and called very good. So we may ask ourselves, what can we do about this? Is there any sort of solution? Is there any sort of cure? Is there anything that we can do to counteract the, 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 the sin, the separation, the, the disconnect, the division that seems so pervasive and prevalent right now? I think there is. And I think it comes down, again, to one word, and that word 
is love. See, if sin separates, then I think love begins to be this thing that links us together. If sin ruptures the, 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 the connection between us, then I think love remembers the connection uh, between us and others and the rest of creation. And I think this is where we begin to see the wisdom of Jesus stepping into this. Because then Jesus is asked, what is the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus offers this word of love. But the wisdom of Jesus doesn't stop, stop with some sort of abstract concept of love, but, but uh, Jesus puts on flesh and blood with it and says that the type of love that he's inviting us into is a love of God. And a second, but similar, is a love of neighbor. But a love of neighbor as ourself, which seems to imply that there's some sort of love for ourselves as well. And it seems that for Jesus, when it comes to love, when, there, when these various spheres of our lives are intersecting, when there is balance in them, when love is present and linking us together, that there is once again tov in the world. It seems as though one of the things that, that Jesus was doing was attempting to redeem creation. And as Jesus was attempting to redeem creation, he was echoing the original creation, uh, uh, echoing the original tov that was present and points us back to if we want tov, it comes through this act of love that links us together with these various spheres of, of influence in our life. And it seems as though part of the thing that Jesus was doing was inviting us as humanity in some ways to grow up, <laughs> to mature, to evolve in our understanding of ourself and recognize that there is more to the world than just me, myself, and I, but recognize again that we are caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality, that there is a deep interdependence that we find ourselves caught up in. But Jesus doesn't just stop here. Jesus includes another group of people into this love that he invites us into. And that is a love for our enemies. Because see, if, as, as our enemies continue to remain outside of this overconnected, intersecting circles, there is no tov. Because there is still this separation. There is still an othering that is taking place. There's still an us versus them. There's still those on the outside. And tov does not exist in any of those things. But tov exists in a love that links us together. Now this love for enemies can be these big, like radical sorts of responses to violence, or this love for an enemy can be that face and that name that is coming to mind when you scroll through Facebook or Instagram, and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> See, Tov is in the ties, and this seems to be the thing that Jesus is inviting us back into collectively as humanity. So it's been a difficult 18 months been in 18 months where it feels like there has been all sorts of disconnect and division. There seems to be an impulse and an instinct within us to say that this is not good. There seems to be an impulse within us that doesn't want to move towards this disconnect and division. And I think that's a good and divinely inspired instinct. And I would invite us not to move toward disconnect and division, but to move towards tending to these ties because Tov is in the ties, to move not uh, towards disconnect and division, but to move towards love that links us together with all of 
our neighbors, and all of creation itself. And we pray for all of this. May it be so. Amen.